Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. The human eyeball is incredible. Touch it. I mean, just don't do that. But it's honestly an incredible feature of our bodies. Like we have eyeballs. They're so delicate. They're so strong. They're so capable. They're so wonderful. It's so intricate. It's incredible. It's known that the human eyeball can see, for most people, up to three miles away, if everything is clear. It's three miles. That's far, right? How's your vision? How is your ability to see far away? Can you see three miles? You're like, yeah, I got three miles, no problem. But what about that small print when it's like really up close here? Some of you are like holding your phones like this, right? So it's like, okay, can I see far away? Can I see up close? I actually have terrible eyes, right? So in third grade, I couldn't see anything. I started to get bad grades. I did that eye check with me, you know, that whole thing. How many can you see? And I found out I needed glasses. And so since third grade, I've been wearing glasses and contacts. And without my glasses and contacts, I can't see anything. My wife leads me around the house. The moment I get up, the moment I go to bed, I have to have something in my eyes or I can see nothing. But even with my glasses and contacts, I can't see three miles away. Because all of us have limitations, right? But when I, when I put my contact in, I can see you right where you sit every week. I see you back there. I know where you are. I can see more with my contacts in than with them out, but I also can't see what's behind me. So sometimes things are happening and kind of moving around back here, and I'm kind of like, what? Wait, blind spot, right? It's like we've all had this experience where we look behind us and go, I can see everything this way, but I'm not sure what's happening behind me. So with the limitations of our eyes and with blind spots, we're limited, right? And so if that's true physically, how are your spiritual eyes? How is your ability to perceive things spiritually? How about mentally? How are your mental eyes? How are your emotional eyes? How are your relational eyes to be able to perceive what's happening relationally around you? If we have limitations in our eyesight and if we have blind spots, what about our ability to perceive emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and then add in the fact that life stinks and there's lefts and rights? How is your eyesight when days are hard? How is your eyesight when things are going really well and successful? How about when it's foggy and you're confused and you can't see? How are your eyes then? See, what happens is our, our eyes are limited in all different ways. We each have blind spots and life is going up and down and left and right, which makes navigating life difficult and complex. So question for you today, does God have the same limitations? How's God's vision, right? Does, does God have the ability to see for more than three miles? Does God have blind spots? Does God perceive only the physical realm or is it possible that God can see all areas of human existence at once? How about does God have a bad day when you have a bad day? When things are up and down and left and right and foggy and confusing for you, is it foggy and confusing for him? How's God's eyes? 
See, what's so incredible to think about is God has perfect vision and the ability to perceive in every realm all the time. He's able to see, and what's so comforting to know is that God, because he has perfect vision, wants to walk with, he understands my limitations. He understands that I can't see. He understands that I have blind spots. He understands that my days are rough and hard and sometimes I get confused because everything seems chaotic. And he's like, I want to walk with you, Joe. I have perfect vision. I am outside of you. I can see what's going on. And I promise you that I will make all things beautiful in their time. That there's that are in Christ Jesus, that he will make all things good. And he will do good things in your life. And so it's like this incredible promise that he wants to walk with us. And when I don't have vision and when I have blind spots, he wants to guide and lead me and promises to stay with me forever. And how comforting that is for all of us. If we would just hold his hand and trust his eyes and not our own. And so we're going to jump into a new sermon series called A Time for Everything. And it's based out of a poem that's written in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse two. And so starting in verse two, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse two. If you can expel, if you can spell Ecclesiastes without looking, I'll give you a hundred dollars, right? Like Ecclesiastes, if you find your way to the Psalms, go right, you'll find Proverbs, go right again, you'll find Ecclesiastes. It's this famous poem that Solomon writes, and maybe you're old enough to remember the song in the 60s by the birds, to everything, turn, turn. I understand millennials and Gen Z never heard of that song, so if you're older, you might remember that, but the lyrics from that song come directly from what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3. We have been journeying through a sermon series called Unbound, where we're learning that listening to Jesus, his voice is what frees us. When we listen to the voice of God, we're freed from things that hold us back. But it's been on my heart and mind to teach beyond just listening to his voice, understanding the seasons of life also help us greatly because a God who is outside of time and space, who can see seasons, ups and downs, and lefts and rights for us, when we listen to his voice and hold his hands, whatever comes our way, we can have peace and trust him. But if we don't understand seasons and times that are for everything, then we get ourselves lost and sideways. And so between now and Easter, we're gonna slowly make our way through Ecclesiastes 3 and look at all these different things that Solomon says, hey, it'd be wise for you to know this about how life works. It will help to give you peace. So we're gonna go together. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for your word that guides us in all areas of life. We've learned how important your voice is, but you have made this world to be a place of seasons. And our human existence is sunny days and rainy days. It's life and death. It's planting and uprooting. There's a time for everything under heaven. And yet we, with limited eyes, get blindsided, and you never do. So with our ears attuned to your voice and our hand in your hand, you promise to guide us now and always. Use your word to do what only it can do, to encourage us 
and to give it. Convict us, I pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Before we jump into Ecclesiastes 3, let me give you a bit of context. Commonly understood that Solomon is the one who wrote this, and he wrote this at the end of his life. He's the son of great King David. God approached Solomon and said, ask for whatever you want. And Solomon said, give me wisdom. So God gave him incredible wisdom. It enabled him to do all kinds of things, including becoming the wealthiest and wisest king who ever walked planet Earth. But he was stupid enough to listen to his sexual desires, and it got his life sidetracked. So the wisest guy who ever lived let sexual pleasure derail everything. The title of the book, Ecclesiastes, is the Greek word teacher. So despite his flaws, Solomon has something to teach us. Despite your flaws, you have something to teach other people. So the word Ecclesiastes means teacher. And I find it fascinating that within this book, there's references to God, but not a lot of references to God's law or God's people. It's pretty quiet that way because I think Solomon's writing this general apologetic. He's writing this reasoned argument for everyday people like you and me to see the goodness of God in the world around us in very general ways to connect the dots beyond the laws of God and the people of God for us to see the common ways God intersects our ordinary lives and Solomon is going to consistently draw a distinction between a God who's in heaven and we who are here limited on earth. One theologian, Michael Eaton, describes Ecclesiastes this way. It says, the teacher wishes to deliver us from our rose-colored glasses, deliver us from self-confident, godless life with an inevitable cynicism and bitterness, deliver us from trusting in wisdom, pleasure, wealth, human justice or integrity. The teacher wants to drive us to see that God is here and that he is good and generous and that only such an outlook makes life coherent and fulfilling. Solomon in this book wants to lift our eyes to help us see from heaven's perspective to not be held back by earth's limitations, to see the world as God sees it, and that noticing seasons happen, and when we recognize these seasons, it gives us peace and purpose as we yield to God. Let's dig in, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Time for everything and a season for every activity. He's Drawing our eyes up, right? Above our limited, foggy, blind spot view of things to see that there's a time for everything under heaven. And he wants us to ask the question, how does God see things from heaven? It's a great question to ask. How does God view the world? And when we think of time, we often think of time as a line, right? So we talk about our timeline. That as a human, we, we have a creation story, right? And then you fast forward through history and you have Jesus showing up and now we're in 2023 and, and it goes to infinity and beyond, right? And so we see life in this linear fashion and we kind of show up some point in here and we kind of end here and right now we're stuck here. And this is how we view... But what, what the Bible's teaching us and what Solomon teaches us is that God is, is here... 
And he is not tied to this timeline of time and space continuum. He is outside that time and space continuum. And when God sees things, he sees everything equally at the same time. He's above it and beyond it and not anchored to it and not limited by it. And as creation, those who are limited and stuck and anchored to a time and space, this should encourage us. This should give us hope that there's something, someone who's above and beyond it, who sees the big picture, and he can see my life and see the story of our lives and the intersection of all of them, and his son comes and dies on a literal day. Jesus, this is so wonderful. Jesus dies on a literal calendar day, and so that today in 2023, when I look back at the cross of Jesus Christ, that Jesus' life is applied to my life today, so that in the future when I'm judged by God, his life on a real day changes my life today and guarantees me a life forever, so that I don't have to fear the end or death. And that's only because there's someone above time and space. Without that, this is all a fairy tale and a joke and a waste of time. But with the God who is above and beyond, but we can acknowledge that it's kind of hard, right? It's humbling to be stuck in time and space, isn't it? I mean, do you want to be stuck in time and space? Don't you want to reverse and go back? Don't you want to fast forward and move forward? I mean, haven't you had moments? Think of this. You've had delicious meals that you wish would never end. You've had musical moments or family moments. You've had vacations. You've had seasons that you just go, I want time to slow down and I want to stop and enjoy this moment. Please, time, stop. But guess what? It doesn't stop. Why? Because we're finite and God is infinite. There's been times when you've gone through pain and trauma and heartache and difficulty where you want to speed the clock up, right? I got to get out of this time, this moment. And it seems like time slows down and drags on forever. Why? Because you're finite and you're anchored into time and space. But because God is not, we have hope. We can have hope. And so it's, it's worth slowing down and saying it's very humbling to be finite and very hard because we want to be infinite, and yet we're anchored. And here Solomon's dad, David, in Psalm 31, he describes it this way. He says, my times are in your hands. That my existence, my timeline, my moments, my ups and downs, every part of my life are in God's hands. And if he is creator and sustainer and redeemer, if he is really outside of time and space, do you see how safe that is? Do you see how that's intended? Because he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, because he is faithful and sovereign and omnipresent and all-powerful, that because of who he is, I can rest in his good hands. My time are yours, God. And so I don't have to be frantic I don't have to fast forward. I don't have to slow down. I don't have to fear death. I can be in this moment and rest in your good hands. Do you see how this understanding of God as infinite and us as finite, resting and yielding to that, gives us peace and purpose? Let's keep going. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 
says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Verse two, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. I gotta slow down and explain this real quick before we dive into verse two. Let me explain what he's doing here. He's gonna make 14 statements throughout this next set of verse. He's gonna say a time for this and a time for that. A time for this and a time for that. What he's doing is, it could feel like he's building a case for us to choose black or white, good or bad, but that's not what he's doing. He's not saying birth is good, stay alive. Death is bad, avoid death. That's not what he's doing. He's teaching us something much more simple and maybe more profound, that understanding seasons is not an invitation to pursue or to avoid, but to yield. It's not pursue birth and avoid death or any of these other categories he's going to give us. It's to yield into the fact that under heaven there is the reality of birth and a reality of death. And that yielding to that is what gives us peace. It helps us to embrace life as seasons. It comes with all kinds of feelings, but it allows us to embrace the sovereignty of God and yield to him. So Solomon says there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die. Literally, a time to be born means a time to give birth, and aren't we thankful? Because if you didn't know this, you wouldn't be here if there wasn't a time for that, right? So I'm thankful that there was a time to be born, that there was a time that a man and a woman came together and you were conceived. And I don't know the circumstances of your conception. I don't need to know the circumstances of your conception to understand what God says in Psalm 139, that you are beautifully, fearfully, wonderfully made. You're not an accident. I don't need to know whether your parents were great parents or horrible parents, whether you were born into trauma and pain and abuse and misery, or you were spoiled. I don't have to know if your parents were good or bad, right or wrong, to know that you're not an accident and that your life has value, that all lives have value before God. The beauty of biology coming together in a moment and creating you with unique DNA and unique fingerprints and unique personality and unique eye color, that this is a gift from God. That if you grew up with biological parents or foster and adoptive parents, your parents were the best or the worst, that God celebrates that you're on planet Earth that your point, your life has value. He's trying to lift our eyes that no matter what the circumstance of your life, your infancy, your childhood, your adolescence, your current state, you matter. You have a reason to be here. What anyone thinks about it or says about it or whatever you feel about it, it is good that your life started. And every life matters. But he also says, there's a time to die. That under heaven, things starting and stopping, birth and death, are necessary aspects of life. We can fast forward to Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2. Look at this statement that Solomon makes that helps me understand it. He says, it's better to go to a house of mourning. Look at this. It's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Think of funeral home. Who thinks it's better to go to a funeral home than a party? You're crazy, right? That's weird. But that's what he's saying. It's better to go to a funeral home 
than to a party. Why? Because death is the destiny of every person. The living should take it to heart. That there's no way of getting out of death. That I didn't choose to be born. There was a season for my birth and there's a season for my death. And all of that, yielding to that is good. I'm the worst dad ever. So my kids, when they were growing up, they'd have nightmares and they'd come running down to our room and they'd be like, I'm so afraid I'm gonna die. And I'd be like, yeah, you might. <laughs> I know, you can, you can call child youth on me. Like, because the reality is, I don't want to raise kids, teenagers, I don't want to be around adults who deny reality. Because guess what? Can I look at my son or look at any of you and promise you you're not going to die today? It's malpractice as a dad or as a person to tell you you're going to live through the night. And so what I can do with my sons is say to you, you might die, but you are in the hands of a loving and faithful God. You're in the hands. Your times are in someone's hands that are so much stronger than anything I could promise you. And Solomon teaches us that there's a season of everything and there's a time to die and that we, as a modern Westerners, avoid death like crazy and we are so foolish to think we're going to stay alive. Really? Really? You're going to avoid death? It may not be today, but it might. It certainly could be tomorrow. Did you see the news this week? Have you read the obituaries? Your name is going to be there. This is reality. And Solomon says we should think about this. And it's worth noting in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So it's like within this paradigm of dying, it's going to happen to all of us. We can't deny it. It's not morbid to think about it. It's just reality. But we're also going to stand before God, who's a perfect and holy judge, who's going to analyze our lives. And that's a reality we have to face too. And so just like there's a time to be born and a time to physically die, there's also a time to be reborn. I love what Jesus says. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And so the invitation there is to realize, boy, we're flawed. We've rebelled against God. We are separated from God. We're under God's wrath. We're enemies of God in our natural selves. But that's why God sent Jesus, because he knows this reality of life and death and judgment. And he says, I want to intersect that reality, and I love you so much that I want to provide for you an opportunity that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you're going to be saved, and you don't have to fear death. You're no longer under God's wrath. You're no longer spiritually dead. You're alive to God right now, there's a time to be born, a time to be reborn, and a time to die and face judgment without fear when you're in Christ. Solomon continues, verse two. He says there's a time to plant and a time to uproot. I love this, the landscaper gardener in me. I love spring. I love going to Dan Schwantz or whatever that is and buying, <laughs> like, buying those flowers and putting them in the ground, vegetables and annuals. I love all that. I love planting. And then the spring comes and I plant all this stuff and then fall comes and frost kills everything and I go pick it all out. Like I love the fact that there's a time to plant my annuals and a time to clean up my annuals. I love that. 
But I want to lift your eyes beyond annuals because when Solomon wrote, it wasn't like that. I want to encourage you to think about a time to plant and a time to uproot. Like, think about planting an oak tree. Why would you choose to plant an oak tree? Because of the beauty and the shade of a giant tree that's permanent and it lands in your home and your front yard and it grows and provides beautiful shade and color in the fall and acorns for acorn fights, right? And like all this fun stuff. And so there's something about what Solomon's saying. There's a moment in time where we choose permanence, where we take an acorn and we bury it in a hole and we protect that little acorn and we hope and we protect and we fertilize and water so that that thing grows up into a majestic tree or we spend lots of money to get a ball and burlap one and we dig a hole and we plant it and it means something and it's permanent and beautiful and produces shade and takes up and occupies a space in our lives. Something beautiful. Solomon is saying in our lives there's a time to plant ourselves. To plant ourselves in a job or in a career, to plant ourselves in relationship, or in a family, in a house, in an apartment, in a neighborhood, in a friend group, or a church. There's a time and a season for all of us to plant ourselves and make a long-term commitment to stop jumping from person to person, or job to job, or church to church, but to plant and set down roots, and to seek permanence and beauty to plant yourself for a season of time. Solomon says this is normal and good and important under heaven. You have seasons where you're planted. But he says there's also a time to uproot. Think of the oak tree again. You planted this oak tree. You nourished it and watched it grow. You saw the beauty of the fall color and experienced the shade. You can remember stages of that oak tree growing and where you were and what you did as it grew over time. But Solomon says there's a time for every oak tree to be uprooted. And maybe it's because the oak tree is dying. Or maybe something better must replace the space where that oak tree has grown. How hard is it to uproot an oak tree? Very hard. It takes an incredible amount of effort, an incredible amount of energy to uproot an oak tree. But Solomon says there's a time to uproot. So you've planted yourself in a circle of friends. You put effort in. You've experienced goodness. But it might be time to uproot. You planted yourself in a career it might be time to uproot. You planted yourself in a church. It might be time to uproot. You planted yourself in a routine. It served you well for many years. It's time to uproot. Solomon says, with all the effort and all the pain that's required to uproot permanence, there's a time to uproot. And his point in calling out these different seasons is not to discourage us, it's to encourage us to see life clearly from our limited perspective, to zoom out and zoom up 
And to see that God is in heaven outside of time and space and he's a good father. And when you understand seasons, you see it's not an invitation to plant or uproot. It's not an invitation to give birth or to die. It's an invitation to yield to a sovereign God who holds your time in his hands. That he is my guide and I can embrace the seasons of up and down, left and right, and I can experience his peace through that. I want to talk to you a lot more about seasons, but I want to just go back to this little basic truth that that's you. You're a finite, I'm a finite dot, a blip. I am a fearfully and wonderfully made one. I've got my unique fingerprints, my unique personality, my unique story, my new gifts, but I am anchored to time and space. And that is humbling, isn't it? Because I want to be detached. I want to go fast forward. I want to go reverse. I want to do over. I want to move past trauma. I want no heartache. I want everything to go well, but I'm anchored to March 5th, 2023. And so are you. And this might be my last day on planet earth. It might also be yours. That is humbling, isn't it? It's so humbling. But when we can see that I am that finite person in the hands of an infinite God, who holds me, it gives me a sense of peace, right? And so at the end of Solomon's poem, verse 11, he says something. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. So he says, time for this, time for that, time for this, time for that, time for this. And he ends with this statement, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And this word everything is really important. You know what it means? Everything. And you think about that. That means everything in all of human history is going to be beautiful in its time. But it means everything in your life, everything from beginning to end, in its time, everything is going to be built. But you know what also everything means? Everything means everything. So all the little minute details of your life that nobody else seems to care about or know, that every little thing, the time of my birth, and the little things leading up to my death, that the planting of my life and the uprooting of my life, that all these different nuances in my time and space that are in the hands of God, that he is going to make everything beautiful. And somehow it's zooming up and out and going, my eyes can't see that, God. I don't get that, God. How could this situation, how could this trauma how could this circumstance, how could this injustice, how could this evil, how could this become beautiful in its time? But I'm limited. My eyes are dim. I've got blind spots. I'm anchored to time and space. But with a God who is above that, he promises me and you to make all things beautiful in his time and to make good things for your good and his glory to come out of whatever this life has. And so when I just rest in that, it's an invitation to something peaceful, to stop being so frank, frantic, Joe. Everything in its time will be beautiful. Would you pray with me? Father, this is hard and complex. It requires us to have faith beyond our abilities to see, but I think that's what faith is. 
that I can't see. So I don't understand how everything is beautiful in its time, but I do know that you're strong and sovereign, that you're slow to anger and abounding in love, that you don't make accidents. You didn't make an accident with me or anybody here. That the good, the bad, the rainy days and sunny days, the planting seasons and the uprooting seasons, the seasons of life and the seasons of death all exist in your good, strong hand. I exist in your good, strong hand. Your gentle hand, your loving hand. Your hand that wants me to be the best version. Your hand that wants me to do good things in this world. Everything exists and we exist and find our being in you. So teach us as a church family the value of seasons. Teach us the value of everything being beautiful in its time. Teach us the value of rest and trust and obedience to you. I pray through Christ's name. Amen.